I guess you didn't know I have my own theme music now. <laughs> not at all, not at all. We're not that church. I uh, did want to say what kind of church we are, though, uh, just before I get into the Word. A number of years ago, um, there was lots of ideas, a lot of things would be shared with us as a board and leaders saying, you know, we should really try this, we should do this. Uh, lots of great ideas, and we soon realized that we cannot do everything. And we started to ask the question, but what, it is that, what is it that God has called us to do and to be? And so we engage in a process of discerning what our vision and mission is again as a church. And through that process, I learned a few things. One, that vision is best developed out of the grace that is already in a community. In other words, God is not calling us to be something that we are not. And that as we look ahead, He is inviting us to look closely at who we are, the gifts that are here, the abilities that are here, the desires that are here, and to say, now with what I have blessed you with, how will you serve me? The listening sessions is an opportunity for you, and I want to make this very clear, whether you are new to us, whether you are interested in who we are, whether you have been here as long as I am or longer, but it is an opportunity for us to together discern the leading of God for our church. We invite you to join us. We want you to participate and to contribute to that very, very important ministry. I'm going to invite you, um, and it's a long read today, so if you're not comfortable in standing for a long time, you may be seated, but the rest of us, one more time to stand with me as we hear the Word. Acts chapter 10, and I'm reading selected verses from this entire chapter. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. I like friends with beachfront property. And when the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. 
In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean... You must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. And then on Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him, and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up. I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled, and he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues. And extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they invited him to stay for several days. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There are some relationships in life that change us, even when we don't expect it. I asked my friend the permission to share a little bit about my relationship with him, my friendship with him, and so I want to share with you such a relationship that affected me. About six years ago, Kenton walked into my office as a stranger with a life, let's just put it mildly, that was turned upside down. Little did I know that as I would begin to counsel him, and as a friendship would develop, that God was not only using me in his life, but that God would use him in my life. He called me a few weeks ago uh, to celebrate six years of sobriety. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay to applaud in the church. That's one point. <laughs> Crediting his sobriety in part to a conversation that we shared in my office and then acknowledging, in case I thought it was because of my great counseling skills, that on the day he visited me, it was one of the darkest days with one of the darkest thoughts. This was the last resort Little did he know that as he met with me on that day, that God would meet with him and his life 
would look completely different from there on in. He explained that though the conversation we shared was significant, it alone (laughs) could not account for the way in which his life was saved on that day. (laughs) And he asked me repeatedly, he said, that was not even a great story you told me. (laughs) But then together we acknowledged that God showed up, perhaps even ahead of both of us, towards one end. To seek and to save those who are lost. When we read this particular text, we may be prone to think that it's a text about the conversion of one man, Cornelius, a Gentile, and his household without recognizing that indeed it is Jewish Peter, not only Jewish Peter, but an apostle. One that was on the inside of the inside of God's covenant people. Who needed, uh, and I don't think the word is an exaggeration, but I think he also needed a conversion of some sorts. That in our text we should probably note that it is not just Cornelius that is in need of some revelation and understanding that would transform his very being and indeed his home, but that Peter himself stands in need of some change. I think that when we read Scripture, when we start to exclude ourselves from the need of change or salvation, We miss the invitation that Christ makes to us whenever we hear his word. Let me put it differently. Some of us come with this understanding that, yes, we are saved. We are on the inside. We're good to go. But it's like the Apostle Paul told the Galatians once, why would you begin with what God has done through his spirit and think you can live without that saving spirit the rest of your life? So in a sense, when you hear the word proclaimed, when we together hear the word proclaimed, we hear it as those are always saying, how is God wanting to transform and save me? How is God wanting to change my life? I think that as I read the text, and I think it's an honest reading of the scripture, that there are things that both men needed God to do that only he could do. And I think it's fair to say that we all stand in need of that same saving grace every day of our existence. And so on this wonderful Thanksgiving Sunday, with the sun shining, with the ability to still meet, though with masks, with healthy children and health ourselves, We give God thanks for the word that still brings life and still saves it. And we, the people of God, we we do this peculiar thing on a weekly basis. We gather around this word because we believe it holds what no other word holds. Now, you know, some of you are not convinced about that yet. (laughs) Some of you perhaps are 
are wondering about the, and I know in this day, in this age in particular, where things have changed for the church about the meaning of Sunday, the value of these times together. I think one of the most significant values, if I can put it this way, of gathering together around God's Word is because we are a people that believe God still speaks in order to save. And so as we hear His Word, as we hear these simple thoughts reflecting upon the Word of God, I pray that He would speak to each one of us, that we would hear His invitation for us. I think what's clear in the text is that God is working ahead of both of these men. In our denomination, which I don't talk an awful lot about, but we, we kind of root our understanding of God in His grace. Not primarily in His power, although we believe He's all-powerful, but we believe that the, the defining character of God is His gracious disposition to creation. Now, I'm going to try to speak theology that is even a little bit beyond me, but I think it's okay and it's important. How you and I believe God works in our life, whether it's through power or through grace, would determine how we think about life. Let me say this to you, that while some of my fellow brethren from other denominations and theological traditions stresses the sovereign power of God, to save, I agree, because it is God the Father who raises the Son from the dead, only by His power. I stress the incredible self-giving grace and love of God that is not only incredibly unlimited, but it is also powerful to change us, to transform us. Let me say it differently. We believe that not only is grace there to forgive us of our sins, but grace is at work within our lives to make us into the very people that God wants us to be. So we do not only preach a forgiveness, we preach a transformation. We do not only invite you to come and understand the forgiving, pardoning grace of Jesus Christ, but we invite you to be filled with His Spirit so that He would conform within you and me that which He has intended from the beginning, that we might be the very body of Christ in the world. So, when we hear the Word, we hear it as those who are always in need of grace. Saving, yes, but transforming also. God is at work ahead of us. Cornelius was by occupation a person uh, that had authority and power, a centurion in charge of perhaps hundreds of soldiers. Uh, power and privilege, and yet he was also an outsider to the, the Gentiles, were outsiders to the quote-unquote covenant people of God. He is described as a devout man who feared God. And it is this devout man who feared God that prays. And when he prays, he has an angelic visitation through which the angel makes clear that not only has his prayers been heard, but his prayers will be answered. 
and his prayers would be answered in a particular way through a man named Peter who's living in Joppa and is hanging out in the house of Simon the Tanner who lives on the beach. When I read the text, I, I ask myself, now what on earth did Cornelius pray? What was he praying about? Could it be that Cornelius had heard about what happened just a, a few days or a week ago in Jerusalem when these, uh, these Jewish disciples gathered and, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they started to proclaim this message of this dead and risen Messiah to every person in the region in their own tongue? Could it be that Cornelius started to pray and say, God, even though I'm a Gentile, maybe I can get a little bit of what happened in Jerusalem. I, I, I wonder whether perhaps, it, you know, Cornelius was saying, Lord, I, I want to be a part. I want to be included in what you're doing. I, I, I know who I am. I, I know that I'm not like them, but maybe your grace will extend to me also. But could it be that even though Cornelius prays, and even though God answers his prayer directly, that the real reason God acts in the way he does towards Cornelius is that from the very beginning, he had destined his grace to reach absolutely every nation and every tribe. You know, when we read Scripture, uh, it's easy to make the wrong person the hero. You know who the hero of Scripture is? It's always Jesus. He is the one that does the saving. He's the one that does the sanctifying. He's the one that responds to Cornelius, reminding not only us as we hear the story, but all of us as we look at the Scripture, that God answers prayer. Can I get an amen? God answers prayer. Uh, and God answers the prayer of God-fearing people. I was just wondering, I was just wondering as I was thinking about this text, who in the world today is calling out, crying out, praying that God would come and visit, that God would come and save, <laughs> that God would step in? Where are the Cornelius voices in our world today? But I, I, I want to say more than just that God answers prayer. I want to say that the God that shows up by His Spirit in the text is the God that is working towards reaching and inviting all to come to know Him. You know what this means? Is that the work of the church is not to take Jesus to the world. The work of the church is to discern where Jesus is at work in saving the world and showing up. It means that for some of us, the posture we need to take in life is not that, that we own or possess this gospel, but this gospel has come to us as a gift of grace that invites us to discern the God of grace who is at work in the life of people all around us. 
I have a good friend who says to me, when I sit down with people, I pray this prayer quietly, because it'd be weird if he prayed it out loud. Holy Spirit, show me where you're at work within this person's life. I believe very much in the witness of Scripture that tells us that God is working ahead of us, and, and this might not be something that means a whole lot to some of us listening to me today, but i got to say to you, I'm so glad that God is at work in our world. Because sometimes I'm not the best witness. You know, sometimes I'm... I'm Peter sitting up on a, on a rooftop. You know, hungry. <laughs> Sometimes I'm, I'm in need of, of, of God to show up in my life and to interrupt my life and say, hey, 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 catch up to what I'm doing. Sometimes I need a, a vision from God like Peter got that, that challenged him so much, that, 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 that kind of challenged the, the, very, the very way in which Peter thought about who he was. You, you do know that, that for the Jew that was devout, that not eating certain food was more than just a dietary preference. It was a way of, of thinking about who he was as a devout religious follower of God. For God to show up in a vision and show him food that he's never eaten and say, kill and eat, it only makes sense that Peter would say, I would never do this because I'm convinced that this is what it means to be religious. I'm convinced that this is what it means to be holy. I'm convinced that this is what God wants from me. And it is sometimes the things that we are convinced about that God wants to challenge so that we will be open to what His Spirit wants to do in us. So not only does God work ahead of Cornelius and Peter, but God wants to work in their lives, overcoming some things that keeps them from His glorious work and will. What are some of the things that keeps us? What perspectives in my life stands in the way of where God wants me to go and what wants me to do? What self-understanding makes me say even to God when He may nudge me, not I, I never will? You know, the, uh, the seduction in our world is towards a Christianity of comfort. But the Spirit of God in the book of Acts does not seek our discomfort, but invites us to participate in the work of God that makes comfort secondary and is well primary. And I, wanna, I, I just want to be very, very vulnerable with you. On the 8th of January, 1998, when I was just a young man, people ask me today, they'll say, you know, well, you know, when I tell them my story, they'll be like, whoa, that was really brave of you, man, to get on that plane and come here and follow God's leading. Can I just say this to you? I was 90% ignorant of what I was doing. 
10% hoping it was God. And, 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 and I've over the years asked myself this question. I've said, if, 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 if it was just up to, to, to how I thought and, and, and what I understood in that moment, would I have stepped out without somehow God working past my ignorance? And yet inviting me to respond. When I think back to that day, this is the question I ask myself to this day. Am I still willing to go when God calls? Am I still willing to say, I know some things. I'm comfortable with some things. This is who I am. I, I, I'm South African. I, I know the landscape. I know the world. I know the culture. I love the food. I love the ocean, I love the beach, but Stu, if I came knocking tomorrow, if I came knocking tomorrow, if I showed up and I said, will you go, will you still go, or has your perspective of life shifted so much that you would say no to my prompting and to my leading? I think that some of us, like myself, needs to kind of just ask the question, what is it that I believe and may not even think God wants to change that he is inviting me to submit to? Peter rejects the divine instruction. I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. Three times the divine voice has to confront Peter's resistance. And God says what God has made clean. You must not call profane. There are religious perspectives today that thinks it's our work to point out everything that's wrong. Uh, there's Christian perspectives that believes that the way to holiness is to port, point out what is unholy. Now let me be very clear to you, clear with you, that I believe we need to practice practical wisdom. When we have children, we don't want them to associate with those who could potentially mislead them. Can I get an amen? Pray for parents. But I don't think that what's happening in this text is, is proposing that we keep ourselves from those who stand in need of God's grace. I don't think that our text can be read and have this perspective of what it means to be holy, that, that only what I do here matters instead of seeing that the holy God desires a holy people who walks into an unholy world to meet his holy presence in the homes of people they didn't think he would show up in. What makes us the people of God is the leading of His Spirit. The same Spirit that works ahead of us is the same Spirit that simultaneously prepares Cornelius and Peter to see something that they both are in need of but won't experience unless they are obedient to God's leading. 
God is at work ahead of them, but God is also very much at work within them. In fact, I, I want to I read this so that you can hear how God is at work within the life of Cornelius himself. If I can find my page. I'm getting old, folks. I can't remember everything. Verse 25. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up, man. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just a mortal. I'm not God. You know what's happening here is that is that, um, and by the way, you know, God seems to work this way in the life of, of couples all the time, not in the way we think of couples, but, 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 but just a chapter ago, you know, uh, Philip, uh, you know, met up with the Ethiopian treasurer, and there Philip and the Ethiopian treasurer were changed. You remember Saul and Ananias? God showed up to both of them, and when they got together, some godly things happened. Remember in the Old Testament, Jacob and Esau. You know, you know, here's the point I'm trying to make. You know, if God is working ahead of us and God wants to work in us, sometimes God works through someone else. I think that we all need a, a Cornelius. Or perhaps we all need a Peter. And what we see in this particular text is that is that God starts to do something in Cornelius' life that he had not yet grasped. He, he's falling at the feet of Peter, and perhaps we could justify it this way. He falls at his feet because the vision that was given said to him, God is answering his prayer, and go to Peter. And so he thinks Peter is the answer to his prayer. But Peter is just the witness. He's just the message bearer to the one who is worthy of worship. And so, not only does, does, does God work ahead of us and, and God is working in us, God works through us. And God sometimes uses other people to teach us things that we wouldn't grasp on our own. And yet, somehow, because we live in the kind of world we live, most Christians don't know how to walk to the other so that the other may help them worship God better. This individual faith is not, hear me very clearly, at least as I read the Bible, not biblical faith. This Lack of relationship in our Christian journey has led many of us down roads and paths that we would have chosen not to walk, has caused so much challenges that perhaps if we had just listened to the Spirit of God and let Him lead us and let us trust Him to be in relationship even with those who we don't think is included, that God can do some great things. But not only does God work through 
Peter to help Cornelius. But God works through Cornelius to help Peter. In verse 44, and with this I close, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell. Fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And even though God started to challenge Peter's existing understanding, in that vision. It was not until Peter showed up in the home of Cornelius and the Spirit fell that he saw that God makes no distinction but desires all men, all women, all people, all nations to experience him. It is a strange time we live in. It is a time in which some of the very fundamental things that makes us Christian is being challenged. Things like gathering together in the church and in our homes. Things like living open lives so that our door is op always open to others. Who's felt that strain and stress and disappointment? Who has missed the opportunity to be in fellowship, to be in communion, to be with others? I, I think that, you know, when I read this particular text, I'm struck by so much that is happening in the Scripture. But the one thing that is perhaps easy to miss is that the Spirit who works ahead of both Cornelius and Peter does such an incredible work in both their lives that Peter, who would never be in the home of a Gentile, now sits and spends a few days there. And guess what happens in chapter 11? The first church of Jerusalem, when they hear what Peter is doing, they get real mad. And they say what Peter has now learned is not true. We don't do that. We don't go there. We don't sit with those kinds of people. We don't spend times in those houses. <laughs> we, 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 we don't enjoy the company of those people. What are you doing? And Peter would say in chapter 11 what he has said in chapter 10. I now understand what this great plan of God is all about. Our neighbors... Need us not just to invite them into our places, but when this thing allows us to eat together again, God help us. Maybe we'll go and eat with them. 
maybe as we mourn the loss of some things that, that, that reminds us of how relational we are and how we need one another, God will do what he did for Peter. Peter becomes hungry. <laughs> he becomes desirous. Sometimes God can use the hunger of people, the desire of people to lead them in new ways. Listen, there's, there's, there's two ways you can think about what we're going through as all loss, all loss, all loss. Or you can see it this way, as walking in the desert where our thirst and our hunger reminds us of the one who's only able to quench our thirst and to feed our souls. May the desire to be in community not lead you to greater frustration, but lead us to the intentional ways of walking into the lives of others so that, one, we may discern what God is doing in our world. May it be so. May it be so. Let us pray. Father God, there are many things that fills our calendars and agendas, and we are busy people. It is hard for us to think about adding another thing, doing one more thing. I know that as I say this, there's many, many folks, both at home and watching online and here today that are saying, yeah, that, that just pretty much sums up my life. I just don't know where I can squeeze in more time. But as you have taught me that when I make room for you, you make room in my life for others. That when I make space to discern your leading, somehow space opens up in my daily schedule. When I, when I learn to listen, you lead me on a different pace and a different course. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon your church. that your Holy Spirit would rest upon your people. So that not only will we be able to discern where you are calling us and leading us, but that we would find the space and time to show up in the lives of others. I pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.